Hello, my dear friends, and welcome again to The Natural High, which is, of course, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. This time I have a particularly pleasant and enjoyable and fascinating chat with Roisin Erskine. You can reach out to her by going to roisinerskine.com. That's R-O-I-S-I-N-E-R-S-K-I-N-E.com. She is a wonderful human being. She emanates positivity and she's really trying to help people around the world with their various issues and challenges. She's also really into mastering various disciplines. She's a yoga teacher. She is studying at this point in time Sistema, which is a Russian martial art, which is extremely interesting. She plays the ukulele. She is a very experienced meditator. So she has lots to talk about with regard to that. She is a sound therapist. She offers sound baths and sound therapy. Uh, the, the conversation is so wide-ranging, and she's just a really good soul. I very much enjoyed speaking to her. We really clicked, and uh, I could talk to her for hours, basically. This time it was only just over an hour, but um, I feel there's so much more to explore in the wonderful mind of Roshi Erskine. So have a listen. Let me know your thoughts. And if you like what you're hearing, please feel free to leave a review on whichever platform you're listening to the show. So, as usual, I'm going to let Roisin do a much better job of describing exactly what she's up to in her life, and I shall leave the floor to her. So, enjoy the show. (sighs) The Natural High. I was out in the woods camping last night, so I was just washing the the smell of campfire smoke out of my hair. (laughs) Beautiful. Where did you go camping? Um, So there's, I don't know if you know, like, um, I'm sure you probably have similar things like national parks. Mm -hmm. You're based in Northern Ireland? Yes, yeah, that's right. You were telling me Cork and... Well, yeah, my my wife is from Cork. Yeah. Uh, my dad, I think my dad was born in Coleraine, I think. Coleraine, oh, Col- very good. <gasps> so, so, yeah, beautiful part of the world. And I I always remember going to the beach at Port Rush, which was absolutely oh, stunning. Oh, yeah, yeah. And driving onto the beach at Port Rush, I always remember that. <laughs> uh, uh, As a kid, uh, sitting on your desktop, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But tell me about, I mean, I haven't been to Belfast for like probably nearly 20 years. And one thing, I so I used to work in events, and I went and organised a music event over in the some kind of meat market or butter market or something like that. Um, and it just St George's Market. Yeah, I think it was St George's. It yeah. had just been regenerated by National Lottery funding, and yeah. we were doing some events for the National Lottery, putting on some uh, bands and stuff there. And what I remember about Northern Ireland was just how friendly people were. Some of the friendliest <laughs> people I've ever met in my life. Yeah, we get that a lot. the irish are amazing i i whenever people i live in america now whenever people talk to me about you know wanting to go to england i always say skip england get yourself over to ireland if you want to have a really good crack (laughs) yeah yeah it's even that word crack is it's like it's it's globally renowned isn't it like (laughs) absolutely as are the irish you know they're great nomads as well but tell me about um so where do you live exactly now are you in belfast um, I'm about 30 minutes south of Belfast, so about an hour and a half north of Dublin. I have quite good access to both. What is the actual location? It's County Down, so it's east coast. So, um, you know, if you look, you're nodding, so I think you know what I'm talking about. But 
yeah if you look on the map and it's got this like little handle this little peninsula on the east coast mm-hmm. so just where the peninsula comes back in and meets almost like the bottom part of the handle of a teacup i'm a, i'm just on the other side of the water here <laughs> wow it's, it sounds like a beautiful part of the world stunning yeah but you know we we're really counting our blessings through lockdown because we've got you know we've got sort of greenery around us you know we have yeah. fields, green fields nature and um yeah, I just don't know how people did it when they didn't have access to the outdoors, you know, through the lockdowns and stuff. So, yeah, what are you saying? Are we, have we started already? Or Yeah, this is it. <laughs> Good stuff. This is it. We've almost finished. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so basically I'm looking at your website and you, you're a very impressive person. I'm going to go through all of the different things that you do. Um, but uh, so uh, the top line is yogi, artist, therapeutic practitioner. I'm going to come on to all those things. But it seems to me that your life has been uh, enmeshed in the the political history of, of Northern Ireland. Um, so, uh, because you've done lots of work to that end. Um, uh, your career was forged in peace building, working in and for disadvantaged communities yeah. across Northern Ireland. And also quite a lot of seemingly sort of post-traumatic yeah. stress from the so talk to me about your experiences of the troubles in Ireland because as I said my dad was from Northern Ireland and I always remember he uh, he he left Northern Ireland because he didn't feel particularly safe there I think he moved to Liverpool when he was a young lad um and so what sort of impact did it have on you and what were your experiences of it yeah so um I'd be 38 this year um so I didn't actually experience an awful lot of the conflict firsthand um now that being said you know, I have some pretty um, dodgy early memories, you know, um, bomb scares being reported on the news, um, uh, you know, getting off the school bus on the way home to find that, you know, areas of the housing estate were cordoned off because something had happened and the police were in to investigate or so I didn't exactly um, witness a lot of what happened firsthand, but there was definitely you know, the tail end of things were still happening just with a much sort of um, decreased frequency. Um, so that was kind of the earlier the earlier years up until maybe 2000. Um, and sort of when I left school, I left school about age 22 and realized that I kind of had quite a bad attitude, <laughs> if that's the right way to put it. You know, I didn't, I had a real kind of um, uh, disdain for the things that weren't kind of um, relevant to me. Um, And then I started learning about, uh, I actually, so I I left school, I worked in a flower shop um, while I was at school and then I left school and went straight into that employment. Um, And then somehow I ended up studying sports, which is not something I ever thought I would do because I've never been interested in sports but I'm a big fan of you know if you feel stuck and you don't know what to do do something even if it's outside of your wheelhouse especially if it's outside of your comfort zone and so went and studied sports for two years to get a triple a triple a level which is like your highest high school qualification here um and through that started volunteering in youth clubs and really enjoying it um and then sort of doing the studies alongside that to become a qualified youth worker and we looked at things like bias and prejudice, and it really kind of hit home for me how mm, loaded my perception had been to one side. And, and even just in terms of the language I was using, this idea of using language to dehumanize the other so that it's okay to um, perpetuate 
nastiness and negativity, you know. Very interesting. And um, so who was the other to you? Was it the British government and, and British people? Um, that's that's a great question. So, like, um, my name is Roisin, Misha Roisin. Yeah, beautiful name. Thank you. Um, so I very obviously and um, instantly recognisable as coming from the, we would call it uh, Catholic Nationalist Republican community. And I say we would call it, that's how professionals working in that field call it. That's not how people from my community term it. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so that's the really bizarre thing about Northern Ireland was you had sort of, you had these two kind of factions that were um, at, at war under the guise of um, a split in Christianity, but that's not what it was at all. You know yourself, any war, anywhere in the world, there are bigger things at play and other people are pulling the strings and it's the people on the ground who, you know, um, do the work and pay so heavily for mm. it. Mm. So the other to me was then a Protestant nationalist, uh, or sorry, Protestant unionist loyalist community. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely no Roshings in those estates. <laughs> so <laughs> when I started kind of doing this um, studying around bias and prejudice, I was like, oh, this is really important work. Um, and so I just got really interested in it and I could feel the difference that it was making to me, to me as a person, to my outlook, even the way I was like holding rigidity and resentment in my body. You know, I really noticed this kind of letting go and this relief of not having to engage on those terms. Um, and so that moved then into actually going and working in the other community. So that's where the majority of my experience is. Um, wow. which wasn't, <laughs> I mean, um, you could very easily like hurt and upset people in my family by doing that work because, you know, we, like everybody else lost people very close to us and it was unjust, unjustifiable how they were lost. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been quite a trip, but over the 15 years of <laughs> working in the other community, you know, the idea was. I'm going to be a really good example. You know, if they've never met somebody from my community, I'm going to be a really good example just to show that we're not all the demons that I know they're making us out to be because I've done it too. Um, Yeah, that's amazing, breaking down the boundaries. Exactly. Uh, Well, yeah, but I also counted myself as lucky enough to be in a position that that was an option because it was only the generation before that that just wasn't possible. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, it's just this is reminding me of a Desmond Tutu quote, which really resonates with me and I think is really relevant at the moment. And he once said, if you want peace, go and speak to your enemies instead of your friends. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I and, and it just that, that that's a real life case study, what you did. So wh- how did you find the other? How did you find these people? Were they just normal like you? And, of course. and just yeah, exactly yeah. the same. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday and I was saying, you know, um, you know, my, my family hated me for doing the work that I was doing and the people I worked with hated me because of where I came from. So wow. <laughs> I, I spent quite some time with nobody being particularly impressed with what I was doing. But, but uh, in the end, exactly. everybody any, everybody benefits, right? Your family, I mean, they've forgiven you and they've probably learned so much from your courage. I mean, uh, <laughs> it would be Maybe really not. lovely to, <laughs> to believe that. Um, I don't know. I think... To be very honest, I think there's so much work here still to do. 
that it can be difficult for people not to feel like, but where's our help? Mm. You know, because there hasn't been this strategic investment in like um, mental health facilities or, you know, this idea of like transgenerational trauma and how do we address that? Well, we need to finish our transitional justice piece first. You know, we need to we need to get the reparations done. We need to finish that as a piece of work before as a society we can move on because at the minute we're in this kind of limbo of you're just repeating the same cycles okay it's not physical violence on the streets anymore but if you tune in to any of the rhetoric politically it doesn't matter what time of year it is it doesn't even matter what year it is you're guaranteed that you're going to find one side sniping at the other and I know that's standard for politics but it's actually strategically used here you know, for division. Similarly, like we've seen in America over the last number of years, mm. no, it's a, it's it's a, it's a deliberate and intense propaganda strategy. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's so, trying to so, conquer, isn't it? I mean, it happens all it, over the world. <laughs> absolutely, it's one of my father-in-law's favorite phrases: "Divide and conquer." Mm. Um, but uh, very effective. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, not that he likes the idea, but he uses the he uses the term all the time because he sees that you know things happening strategically like that. I, it's so easy for me to say, you know, oh, you know, we should be we should try and be more peaceful, hold out the olive branch. But I haven't had somebody in my family killed by the the other side, as it were. So you know, it's like it, that simmering resentment that goes on and on because of somebody that you know who's been you know who's been directly affected by it. It's like um, in Israel and with the Palestinians, and you know those sort of divisions which just feel like it's going to take such a long time for that resentment to to dissolve to completely dissipate if ever yeah I mean I think it can I definitely see that in the youth you know coming up behind me now where they're just like you know we get that there are problems but they don't apply to us which is just you know they say you're you know if you don't sort of recognize history and learn from it you're you're destined to repeat it um and I'm not sure that's the vibe I'm getting from this next generation coming through. You know, they, they're not they're not married to this idea of like, oh, well, there's only one side of this story or, you know, how they say um, history is written by the winners, the victors, you know. Yeah. And so there's only ever kind of one um, obvious side to the story. But yeah, so um, it's been it's been quite a trip. It's um, really tested me to get to grips with humanity <laughs> my own values and what I you know what what is it that I want to model and what is the life that I want to have so you know it might have sounded like a, a very sort of selfless endeavor but it has really you know bore fruit and paid dividends for me <laughs> personally you know in my own development yeah absolutely in terms of just how you feel towards the world that sort of getting rid of your own anger to a degree or managing your own resentment and the the isms that you might have had, the stereotypical ideas that you might have had previously. Well, yeah, but it's like everything else. You know, all these things are related and all these things are kind of um, intertwined and intersecting. So, you know, if you have healing in one area of your life, very often the ripples from that kind of affect other aspects of your life and your experience. So, yeah, I find it very therapeutic doing the work, um, but I've also found a way to, like, tap into the a cycle almost of like post-traumatic growth where every time I find a sore spot I'm able to turn that into an opportunity and progress it so it's not good enough just to heal <laughs> it's, you know you kind of get using that as fuel 
to further your own development in whatever direction. Yeah, you seem like you really like to master difficult disciplines. Do you think that <laughs> do you think that thirst came from doing that sports course in the first place? Do you think it all blossomed from there? And what sport did you do? What, what was it just general sports um education? Uh it was general sports education. So actually over here, you know, um we have sports that would be sort of seen as coming from one community or the other and ah, you know wow. so there's a lot of that so obviously when you study sports here and you're going to be a teacher you're not sure where you're going to teach or whatever so you study all the sports um playing them and also you know refereeing them coaching them all these kinds of things but you also look at like child development sports psychology you know all this kind of stuff nutrition anatomy and that definitely kind of provoked me to realize that I don't actually necessarily have to have an interest in something. I don't always have to pursue things that are already on my radar. And that kind of openness to try things, even if I was maybe a bit wary of them or uncertain, has again really paid off. Um, I don't think it necessarily comes from that first instance. I think probably it's more to do with like, um ADHD you know like just well I don't know like that would mean that you wouldn't be able to concentrate on, on things for long enough no but no, whereas no you... there's 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 two types okay but more sure. more than that it's like um it's almost like a hyper fixation so if I'm interested in something I will go down that rabbit hole until right, I okay. feel like I have a really solid grasp of everything I want to experience in it um but one of the things like I spent a long time when I was growing up kind of going how do people know they want to be doctors from their like seven years of age? What is that? I don't recognize that. I don't think I've ever mm. had an experience or a thought like that. I still don't know what I want to do. Precisely. Exactly that. And it's only <laughs> in these kind of more recent years that I'm starting to recognize that actually that's just a different type of person. I'm never going to be that person. But what I have that that person will never have is this plethora of experiences that can all add value to each other. And that's mm. something that I'm really interested in, particularly in terms of like working with people and in, in the like to to become and to be and to make things more accessible. I think the more strings to your bow, the, the easier the easier you can do that. Mm. Wonderful, um, yoga. You are a yoga instructor. Yeah, and also a yoga therapist. So, um, what is a yoga therapist? Um, it's, it's very different depending on who you're working with, I guess. So obviously mine is very heavily informed from, um, trauma recovery. Okay. Um, but that's not just kind of psychological trauma or stress or enduring environmental conditions. It's actually, um, equally as much to do with how we store trauma in the body. Okay. Somatically. So like. You know, if you have an injury somewhere, very often you think as soon as the pain's away, that injury is dealt with, where that injury can actually continue to um, manifest either in the site or in other parts of your body. Mm. So yoga therapy is about feeling into those spaces where you notice an imbalance or an inconsistency or a limitation, as we would term it, and working with the principles of yoga to alleviate and ultimately remedy that trauma like fully wow yeah 
That's beautiful. Um, I love yoga. I think it probably is the most um, productive exercise, physical practice that you can do because I think stretchiness is is probably the most important thing for longevity. Mm-hmm. It also builds up your strength, your muscles. But I always find when I have a period away and then I start again, I find it so hard to get back into it because I'm just so not stretchy at that, at that point in time. Yeah. Did you ever find that? Did you have to get over various humps and then did you become obsessed with yoga or is it something which you still struggle with at times mm-hmm. to get into it? Yeah, um, for me, yoga has always actually been a bit of a slow burn, which is really unusual in my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so like I remember um, looking at yoga books when I was you know, junior age, kind of maybe five years old up to 11 looking at books that we would have had at home and it was just you know stuff that my parents would have had around the house and they weren't um devout practitioners by any stretch it's just something Mm. there was an interest in in our house and um so yeah I've always kind of dipped in and out of it and in the back of my head it was like that's my retirement plan you know I'll I'll train to be a yoga teacher and that's what I'm gonna do when I'm older I was just going to classes and then actually when I was doing some of this kind of very high level um, cross community peace building work, an opportunity to come up, an opportunity to come up to study with the lady who opened the very first yoga school in Northern Ireland. Wow. And so, yeah, I jumped at the chance. Um, and so that I studied with her for um, three years every weekend. No, sorry, that's not true. One weekend a month <laughs> for three years. And that I really felt how that resourced me to continue to do the very difficult work that I was doing outside of yoga practice. Wow. So that was really critical. For How me. did it? How did it? Just in terms of your physical strength, giving you some more mental strength or? It, um, it allowed me to develop a degree of patience that I didn't know I had in me. <laughs> Um, interesting so that's one bit <laughs> um, that is the key to yoga isn't it patience because that's sure. what I don't have and that's why I, I give up yeah too totally. soon. I'm in the pose and I just don't feel I have the patience to stay in the pose yeah. it's mind over matter anyway, sorry, look, that's not unusual that's not unusual at all and particularly the type of yoga that I teach can be much too slow for a lot of people a lot of people really really struggle um, and there's good reason for that so um Gosh, I'm not even sure where I was going with that. Uh, I was just asking you, how, you said that it allowed you, yoga allowed you, oh, yeah. to get, it gave you more strength to work in the communities that you were working in. Yeah, we have a saying um, in yoga, uh, I bend so I don't break. And nice. so it's this yeah. idea of learning to be soft, even when you feel so overburdened that you might snap. Um, so to give yourself some leeway in things. Um but there was another another saying. Yeah, my teacher would say frequently, ease into discomfort. And so mm-hmm. learning to get, learning to be able to regulate your own nervous system <laughs> and get relaxed in an otherwise stressful scenario or pose or experience. Um, obviously, you know, you can bring that into all aspects of your life. So you learn it on the mat, but you take it off. You know, you practice it everywhere else. Beautiful. And how much yoga do you do now? Um, well, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually not doing a lot of yoga at the minute. And here's why. Um, I'm studying uh, Russian martial arts 
I know. Yeah. This is another one. What a beautiful, you've done the segue for me. Tell me about this. Also, the reason, yeah, the, like the reason that I'm, um, the reason that I'm not doing a lot of yoga at the minute is because I'm a, I'm a big believer in studying something as purely as you can before you wow. bring anything else into it. Um, and actually, I find that Sistema is quite similar to a lot of the yoga therapy training that I've done. And Sistema. Sistema, yeah. That's what it's called. I've never heard of it. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to try. So, uh, yeah, Sistema was used um, and, and it dates back a long way. You know, it, it's been through, I suppose, uh, several iterations before it got to this point. Um, but it was used uh, and taught in the military in Russia um, and originated uh, with the Cossacks. So kind of nomads, I think you'd said nomads at the start of this call. That's the, maybe the fourth or fifth time I've heard that in the last 24 hours. So, wow. yeah, what a fun, uh, what a fun cycle to be on. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Cossacks, the nomads who kind of um, defended but lived on the land and um, imparted these skills over generations, likely through oral tradition, like all the best skills are taught. Um, and then it was taught to the to the military. Um, and then uh, there's these two guys. <laughs> I hope I can say their names right. So uh, you've got Mikhail uh, Rabko, who's still in Russia at the minute. And um, you've got Vladimir Vasiliev. And he's actually in Toronto. So he runs the HQ um, in Toronto. And they have been teaching online obviously more through the pandemic. Um, basically, they came up with this concept of like, here are four uh, functional movements. Um, so they're called the four pillars and it's squat, push up, sit up and leg raise. And through those four um, core, core movements, you test and check the body from head to toe. Yeah, and so, basically you apply functional movement to everything um, with the objective of moving more softly, um, releasing tension and um, learning to master the breath in such a way that your movement becomes so light it's undetectable. <laughs> and obviously wow. that has great um, implications for your health. But even more interestingly, um, there's a really interesting relationship between the breath and fear and how fear manifests in your body. So it's this idea of like everybody knows what tension feels like in their muscles. But do people know what tension feels like way deep down in their psyche? You know, so it's learning to unpack all this kind of stuff. And you do that with the breath. Um, yeah, which I find fascinating because I've been doing breath work for a very long time and there's a lot of stuff in this that I've never learned or, or heard of, you know. Amazing. Um, so, so many questions. I but, know, uh, right? <laughs> I've got so many questions. You're such a fascinating person. So when I think of martial arts, again, this is pure ignorance on my part. When I think of martial arts, I think of self-defense and like, you know, fighting skills. So this martial art is nothing. It's much more of an art than some kind of, no. you know, it's yeah. not self-defense. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, that's, I very definitely took you down one path there. <laughs> um, so it's actually like, 
it can be a standalone wellness practice. You don't ever need to get into um, the conflict or the martial side of it. Um, so that's one thing you, you can take the well-being practice and just live it and it will inevitably improve your quality of life across a number of outcomes and indicators that's um for sure but then what i find really interesting is i spent all those years in community work kind of um managing conflict or moving away from conflict but in a very kind of verbal way you know that i facilitated these conversations and it was you know by the time if, if anything had ever escalated to a point of physical conflict then i hadn't done my job right <laughs> so now to be training um in kind of combat situations it feels like i'm doing the other side of the work now you know like the shadow side of that work and similarly with yoga you know you learn these um techniques for managing stress on the mat and then you take them off well this is what you mm. do in combat training as well you learn your baselines for stress and then you apply more stress and see how you manage it so that if you ever find yourself in a critical position you're actually able to function and move and that's one of the critical parts of it is like to not get stuck to not hold right. your breath and freeze and you know hold rigidly to the spot fascinating mm. yeah it's like the, the opposite the, the rabbit in the headlights sort of thing exactly you know, that. like frozen in fear how why is this demo of all the different how did you get into it i mean what, what what drew you to it in the first place of all the different martial arts you could have practiced um i just i just got super lucky um i was involved in a, a conference a couple of years ago called the embodiment conference and it was like half a million people signed up to it it was a thousand speakers over 10 days over 10 channels and it was just incredible and um, I just like I had a bit of free time and I volunteered on the conference team and then sort of was invited to do some more work with them. But uh, the guy who who organized it, um, shout out to Mark Walsh, of course, had his shoulders on him, does a lot of heavy lifting. Um, but he actually did a four week peak performance, like rota of, of sessions, <clears throat> excuse me, and this was to support his sort of core team to get through the conference so for the four weeks before the conference there was this like daily opportunity to kind of um just to kind of nudge yourself keep yourself on the right track you know to so there was um coaching sessions there was meditation sessions there was non-violent communication and there was brilliant yeah it was it was oh absolutely amazing the teachers were incredible on the whole course um but the one thing that really stood out to me on the on the whole schedule was the Systema training. Yeah, and that was taught by Matt Hill. So I finished the four weeks, I did the conference, <laughs> I left it for maybe another four weeks and I was like, something about that that I just really need to know more. <laughs> um, so I got in touch with the teacher and he, uh, like because of the lockdowns, things were so much more accessible than they have ever okay. been. And mm -hmm. so I had the opportunity to study with people that I, I wouldn't even have heard of, let alone knew that there were these opportunities available. Um, and that was a year and a half ago. So <laughs> the rest is history. Mm -hmm. You probably think I'm just being sycophantic here, but you sound to me like a really good student. So I was wondering, <laughs> like, what what is the key for you to learning? The key, the key is play, fun. You can't, like, you, you learn 
like anything you're trying to learn, you'll learn it 10 times quicker through play than you will do sitting with a notebook and pen. Wow. You can make anything fun. You can learn it. uh, Really, you can make anything fun. Because that's what I was going to say. Like play has to be something that you enjoy doing. You have to see it as something that you enjoy. But if you're doing studying maths, for example, how do you turn that into play? It's the same as your yoga. You take it off the page. You find a way to integrate it that's more entertaining like that. beautiful <laughs> yeah that's a great answer it's a great answer yeah it's the same with everything I mean life is just a series of um you know kind of changes in energy <laughs> no matter what you're doing you know and if you can find a way to um receive energy and convert it into what you want to use it for with minimal friction um then you're on the right path. Doesn't matter what you try to apply that to. If you learn that as a, an outlook and a way to operate, then it, it's totally translatable. Wow, maybe you should write a book about it. Well, the key to so many people learning such amazing things. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually writing a book at the minute. Um, of course you are, of course you are. <laughs> you know. <laughs> With your spare time. <laughs> My spare time, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is it. What's your, yeah, I mean, there, what's your book about? Yeah, there, look, there's a lot to be said for um, investing your energy in the things that make you feel good. You know, yeah, only here for a short time. <laughs> absolutely. I compl- couldn't agree more. What's the book about? Um, so it's called Losing My Mind Mindfully. Oh, and fantastic. It, thank you. It's uh, basically like a, a summary of my 10 years of meditation experience. So this year is 10 years since I started like a formal meditation practice and started to study with different teachers. And I've had various experiences over the last 10 years that have been really like, wow, <laughs> I've got this. I've totally got this. And there's been other experiences where I'm like, I have no idea how I got here but I'm certain this is not the right path (laughs) like I'm gonna have to circle back um and figure this out so it's basically it's like a memoir to encourage people who are at the start of their meditation practice just to say like you're gonna have troughs in your practice you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna think that you're on cloud nine and you've really nailed it and then you're gonna sink and you're gonna wonder why but that's all part of the path and don't worry, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of, it's just to encourage people. What meditation practice have you stopped at now? Or where are you at with it? How do you meditate? And what does it give you? And where are you, yeah, wh- where are you at with it right now? Um, great question. <laughs> because uh, as you say, it's a lifelong journey and it's a fascinating journey. And there are so many layers to it. There is. Um, can I ask you, uh, what do you know about meditation? Not like a, I suppose I'm trying to gauge who might be listening to this and what they would already know about meditation. Is this the kind of thing you talk about a lot or? It definitely is. Um, it's something that is regularly discussed on this podcast uh, and um, everybody's at a different level with it. I mean, some people I know meditate, do TM daily. Other people like myself try and meditate daily. I use Calm and I try and do it at the start of the day. Um and uh, and then other people are just completely against it. My mother, for example, she's like, whenever I talk to her about meditation, she's like, you're like a born again Christian. Will you just shut up about meditation? <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, you know, yeah. some people like re- really push back when you talk about meditation. For me, it's just being, it's, a, it's a, in one word, awareness. It's about awareness for me. Yeah. Being aware of the mechanisms of my 
brain and my mind. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I totally get it on the on the born again, but I think like <laughs> you're like a reformed smoker, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah. So where am I at with my meditation practice now? Okay. I have a four-year-old, um, so that um, silence and stillness and headspace is like really important to me at the minute. Oh my God, I've got a one-year-old. I know exactly where you're at. <laughs> yeah, so my little one, um, he sings in his sleep. He, from the minute he <laughs> Even when he's died, sleeping, he's being noisy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh no, my goodness. Like, and, and the more I say, the more I re- relate these things to my parents, the more they're like, yep. <laughs> okay great um but so the agony and ecstasy of parenthood it, it really is isn't it it's like nothing you, else you can't describe it to it i've never been able to adequate adequately describe it to anybody either like you just have to experience it don't you you do you do i actually had a similar conversation with someone recently and um you know they were asking me like what specifically about becoming a parent changed um in your life you know can you identify things and i was like you know, to be honest, I can't say what exactly has changed, except to say that it has changed everything. Mm. Nothing will ever be the same again. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I'll be able to guess what anything looks like from here on out. So, yeah, yeah it's... Which is why it's so fascinating to me that you keep talking about having spare time, doing things in your spare time. Like, what? where does your spare time come from when you've got a four-year-old kid? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a big part of it as well. It's really important to me what I model to him, you know? Mm, of course, yeah. And this is where the meditation comes in for you as well. Well, meditation is such an important, or even just mindfulness, you know, as, as a first concept, is really important when you're trying to um, teach children how to self-regulate. You know, um, when you're trying to model that whole, you don't need to get embroiled in a conflict with somebody. Like if you're feeling overwhelmed, just excuse yourself and go and do what you need to do for five minutes. Um, so I actually find that a, an invaluable parenting tool. It's it's not something I'm doing from for my own interest as much as it's, you know, like really helping our family function and enjoy each other's company and have build healthy relationships so that's one side of it but what is my meditation practice at the minute there's lots of different things I mean I'm currently working you're gonna love this so I'm I'm, I'm working on another project with you here (laughs) um I got I got a small pot of funding recently from the Arts Council for Northern Ireland to do a five track meditation EP so yeah so like this is my little home studio that um I set up through the lockdown. I'm just thrilled to have. And um, amazing. I play ukulele. I've got these beautiful quartz crystal singing bowls. I'm going to hopefully do like a layered vocal track as well. And um, just kind of play around with some sounds that I've not done before. So that will be very meditative. Incredible. Um, yeah, absolutely. Do you know what it's going to do? You know what it's going to so- look and sound like at the moment? Or are you just going to feel your way through it? I know I have kind of like landmarks that's the best way I can describe it there's there's things that will definitely be included it is not prescribed by any stretch so everything's subject to change at this point depending on what happens on on record day (laughs) Mm, yeah of course 
so that's one type of meditation then there's the other like it was saying about parenting you know just putting putting my wee one to bed and taking those 10 minutes while he's nodding off to sleep to just sit quietly with them and um observe my breathing the state of my psyche the tension in my body and that's one of the things i love about the martial arts based practice is it's actually showing me how to bring meditation in in ways that i've never thought of incorporating it before you know where I've gone down a very formal path of meditation before uh, to the point where I always almost kind of snubbed movement meditation. I was like, it's not real meditation though. Like you're only a proper meditator if you can sit quietly for 10 days and, mm. and not lose your, your mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been a real journey even for me and that to recognize that actually movement meditation um, or meditating with and in and on the body as opposed to only the breath like has had some real profound kind of moments of clarity for me that I just never expected to get because I've always kind of been taught that moving through meditation is just a distraction you know it's only in the stillness and the quietness that you can really hear with clarity but that's not the case at all so I'm beginning to, to learn so there's a whole, I mean, I think if you can learn to embody a skill like meditation, then you start to realize that you're, you can, you can train awareness in everything that you do. Absolutely. I mean, I just remember doing a calm like a few weeks ago where the, the narrator said, just loosen your mouth, for example. Mm. And at that point, I just realized how much tension I was carrying in my mouth. Like my jaw was sort of, it was in a sort of vice-like grip. And then I realized, yeah. wow, I, I need to relax my face. This is an incredible feeling. And just doing that on a daily basis, I find it so useful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Most of us don't recognize the tension that we just carry in our bodies excuse me, there's something that we do. I keep pointing to my mat because I train at home on the other side of this door. So I'm like, this, ah. yeah, this is where I train. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like there's one of the things that we train is looking at kind of, I don't know if you've heard of progressive, progressive muscle relaxation where no. you, so like you can, um, you can try it now if you're used to kind of Please. practicing awareness, but like, so just bringing um, your awareness in settle yourself make yourself comfortable and you know try and put a number on how much tension you think you're holding in your body right now you know is it 15 percent? is it 50 is it 80 mm, i don't know but thinking about it maybe 30 oh wow relaxed, that's, that's some bit. great awareness <laughs> so yeah I mean I, I really wasn't trying to um, cue you with a number there but for most people they're holding about 30% tension in their body at all times that's how oh, we wow. tend to operate okay interesting um, so a lot of us bring a lot of unnecessary friction and tension to things that that doesn't need to be there but so now what I want you to do is um, try and bring tension into your left arm so from your um, fingertips just to your elbow. And just do that a few times. So squeeze and bring tension in and then release and let go. And then this time I want you to link it to the breath. So as you squeeze, you can inhale. And as you let go, you can exhale. 
And each time you exhale, try and notice if anywhere else in your body releases tension. And now I want you to allow the tension to go the whole way up your arm. So next time you squeeze, you're coming from your fingertips right the way up to your shoulder. And do you notice on the exhale, anywhere that tension leaves the body that's not in the left arm? Yeah, around my neck, on right. my face. Yeah. So now I want you to do both arms. We'll just stick with this for another minute or two. If anyone's listening to this podcast and is driving, please don't be joining in this activity <laughs> until you get home. <laughs> don't make me laugh. Sorry. I'm trying to release tension over here. Oh, yeah. Pay attention. <laughs> back inside. So, um, yeah, just, just tap back into the breath. And this time do both arms from fingertips up to shoulders. And just pay attention to where you're releasing tension that isn't in your arms. And so it'll start to highlight the places that you generally hold the most tension. Mm. And that's the point of the tension relaxation exercises is that you bring a measured amount of tension and stress into the body. But when it leaves, if you're directing it with the breath, you can actually expel more tension than you brought in. So it's kind of like coming in with a mop and clearing the surfaces. Interesting. Yeah, and, and again, do, it's about do so one last thing before we please. Yeah. So just the same thing again, but this time I want you to tense the whole body. So start at the toes and work the whole way up. So tense everything from the toes right up to the face. You know, scrunch up the head, the eyes, everything. Squeeze for a few seconds and then exhale, let it all go. Do that two more times. Inhale, squeeze everything tight as you can till you're almost shaken. Exhale, let it all go. And one more in your own time. And then before you open your eyes, just take it a couple of moments to allow everything to settle and do a quick body scan. See how you feel. Mm, that's really nice. Never done that before, that specific practice. Yeah. It's really good. As you say, it sort of sends you into specific parts of your body, which are gives you the awareness of which parts are stressed and strained. Yeah, yeah. And I do feel good. You do? I realise that I, I, yeah, I hold the stress, I think, in my neck and my face. That's where I hold it most. Mm, yeah, you could see an awful lot of action in your shoulders there. Like when you breathe in, you breathe with your shoulders which mm. a lot, which most people do specifically if they carry tension in around the neck and shoulders. Ah. What you want to practice to try and release that and stop that from happening is learn to breathe without engaging your shoulders. Okay. Yeah, see your shoulders squatting down. They do, they still do, even when I'm trying to not do it. <laughs> but, so it's, but it's like everything else, learning a new skill. Um, it'll be bumpy and clumpy and feel entirely yeah. uncoordinated at the start you'll mm. be surprised how quickly you'll overcome that and i think you'll be surprised how that reduces the tension in your neck and shoulders oh i will definitely try it so that would be an example of movement meditation because i've never really done moving meditation before yeah 
Yeah, and that's the thing about sort of training self-defense is your movements should be meditative because you need to be able to stay calm in these situations. Mm. And more than that, which is what I love about training Sistema, if you can learn to influence the people and the environment that you're in by your own calmness, then you're really winning. <laughs> wow, so true, so true, so wise. Um, I suppose yoga would be, you could easily describe that as movement meditation, couldn't you? Exactly, and it's the same with sound therapy, same principles, you know, you're oh, managing. Another brilliant space. segue. Tell me about sound baths <laughs> and sound therapy, another thing which fascinates me on your website. Yeah, I mean, uh, so like, most people will understand the concept that they know songs that make them feel good. You know, there's certain songs that come on and they're straight onto the dance floor. Um, and similarly, most people will understand the concept that they can be talking to a friend on the phone and the friend can say that everything's fine. And even though you can't see their face, you know, because of the tone of their voice, because of the quality of the sounds they make, um, you know uh, that something's not right. And so we've all got this inherent capacity to perceive sound in a way that we don't really understand. And it's very heavily linked to our social engagement system. So our sense of safety, our parasympathetic nervous system. So sound, sound therapy is different from music therapy. <laughs> um, firstly, to say that they're two very distinct and separate things, but there are elements of it that cross over. Sound therapy specifically is harnessing, generating, um, influencing uh, people, places, <laughs> yourself and others with vibrations. So specific frequencies for specific effect. Um, so something that I really like to do, I mentioned earlier about my quartz crystal singing bowls. I have a set of seven and they're, they're you know, tuned to each of the chakras. And you can kind of do a chakra cleansing meditation with these crystal singing bowls. Excuse me. Sound therapy is really interesting. Like I knew about it before I knew about it. So like I was in a, a samba band you know like of course you were of course it was fair <laughs> time <laughs> and we used to so like we used to do these fundraisers where we would go out and we would go around the bars and we would busk for money and then um donate it and brilliant yeah but so what was really interesting about that was we were out sober doing these gigs around really really drunk people <laughs> and you got to see the almost instant effect of rhythm on people who didn't choose to engage in it, didn't know right. it was coming. And depending on the kind of how fast the rhythm was, you know, the pace, the intent, you know how they use drums uh, in, in war scenarios to signal that they're coming. And that's because mm -hmm. it's very intense and it's intimidating and it throws the other side off their game. Similarly with job. drums, if you know, if you're if you're beating a drum fast enough it's enough to actually increase the heart rate and the blood pressure of people around so we all know like wow. if you put a, a, a metal song on whenever you're driving a car you'll drive it faster mm. you know or you put classical music on you maybe drive a little slower depending on what it is you're listening to so this is like a basic principle of sound therapy it's this idea of entrainment so you can actually influence and affect yourself and other people depending on the 
um, dependent on any of the sounds that you use. So again, you know, when you're watching a scary movie, how do you know that something scary is about to happen? It's not, it's not the lighting, it's not the characters. The first thing that gives it away is the sound. It's the high-pitched mm-hmm. violin that makes you go, oh, oh no, look out, he's coming. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Um, so that's sound therapy, I suppose, in a, in a very accessible way. It's a wellness practice that I think is really underrated and undervalued and, and probably not very well known. Yeah, that's really so interesting. I mean, if you think about it, like it could be a really amazing product of the future. Like we could all just be, you know, every time we drive somewhere, we could all have our specific sound frequency to relax us, to make us feel confident or whatever. Like it, it could be such such an amazing tool that just becomes commonplace. Yeah, and it, and it is like, it, you know, um, vibrations are already used in clinical medical practice. So, um, for example, to break up gallstones, you know, they'll use ah. sonic um, yeah. instruments for health so purposes. So it's only kind of in, in more recent years that they're understanding, like, the scope of what's possible with that and it's like everything else you know people have kind of felt their way through it and looked at what you know ancient practices are and how do we evolve those to suit modern day application and you know very often then science is playing catch up you know it's the same with meditation you know the the monks knew thousands of years ago what's being proven now by scientists so yeah I think there's a lot of potential in it um what I love about it specifically in the work that I do is that people don't realize that's what they're accessing. So people think they just come spend some time with me, enjoy a little sing along. And that was all just completely spontaneous. And it's like, no, no, that was very definitely intentional. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I suppose how I like to look at it is I use sign therapy among the other well-being practices to curate the frequency that I want to emit, mm. knowing that it will likely be the dominant frequency in the room, <laughs> in, in most rooms. And so if someone comes in with this kind of negativity or stress or tension or whatever, um, very often they, they can be kind of overcomes not the right word it's more like softened so they can be kind of softened to a point of entrainment because of what it is that i'm emitting it's not it doesn't always work um but you get people kind of going home and sort of contacting you hours afterwards going i just can't believe how good i feel amazing you know? again they're checking in with themselves aren't they yeah and, we, uh, uh, and so, so much of the time we don't take the time to check in with ourselves so all of these practices mm. that you do are just great for that for body and mind awareness yeah yeah exactly you said that you um you were sober and all the other people were drunk so did you do that did you not drink because you were playing in a band or do you shun alcohol in general you're the only irish person that doesn't drink alcohol <laughs> well i may be a little hungover as we speak <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so yeah, I think I was telling you at the start of the call, I was out with a bunch of women last night. Um, right. I put my hammock up in the woods and I was 
sat around the campfire till five this morning drinking gin and singing at the top of my lungs amazing <laughs> so i think i think langers is the term langered yeah oh my goodness and then some yeah and then some i've been rehydrating you, all day <laughs> amazing good for you did you did you play ukulele last night by chance did, of course yeah i uh, uh, hosted a sing-along um and it's so funny you know the the estate that we were on um so we'd hired like a, a bunkhouse there were tents wow. pitched some of us were in hammocks Amazing. and the trees beside it it was a really wild women in the woods absolutely you don't do things by halves do you not at all what for <laughs> <laughs> i'm only gonna have to repeat it <laughs> any chance of a ukulele rendition oh uh, do you know i actually think it's still in the car i'm Fair sorry enough. i don't know I, I, that's a first there's usually one right in this corner um, you just seem like such an impressive person to me. Uh, it's incredible how many, how how skilled you are, and how all of the things that you do, uh, probably intentionally, have uh, they, they emits positivity and benefits other people. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that's very definitely intentional, and it's I think that specifically comes from um, the environment that I grew up in and being an optimist, but also being um, pra pragmatic enough to realize that optimism needs something to perch on you know, there's got to be a foundation if optimism is going to survive and thrive so yeah and I mean like I suppose in terms of developing my own self-awareness when you're able to look back and see all the extra um, unnecessary friction and tension you've brought to things and it's kind of like that saying, you know, what is it like it takes like 50 muscles to smile, but sort of, I don't know, 500 to frown or something, you know, it's that kind right. of idea of like, once you realize that actually you can have this sort of frictionless, effortless flow state as an accessible option, it's not just a, sometimes that happens when I'm playing sport or whatever, it's like a, I intend to live in this manner as often as I can and share it as widely as I can like that's very definitely an intentional thing because I know that there's another option I've been there too and I didn't enjoy it sure yeah you could take either path but you know in the face of adversity can't you and you obviously you, you're sort of suggesting it's easier to smile than to frown but you know I'd, I'd say that a lot of people find it easier just to go down the wrong path um you know if they're suffering adversity in their life yeah, and, and here's the thing, like, I've, I've been on the wrong path a whole bunch of times. It didn't, um, it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to me. Mm. Um, if you are determined to hold on to a victim mentality and see everything as life happens at me, you know, that's what you're going to get. Um, but I decided I wasn't settling for that, so... <laughs> you're amazing so you, you you're i find you so inspiring who inspires you and why <laughs> what a great question um ah oh, who inspires me very often it's my friends so i've never like i've never really had a oh this celebrity or that author or yeah it's not that's not something I can access very easily. Um, and I suppose for me then that's like um, people that inspire me or people that I can relate to and that I can see um, th through my own filters, how incredible what it is that they do, you know, because it's intentional, I can see that. You can see a lot. 
you can when you when you learn to observe tension in people's bodies through a range of modalities you can very quickly spot the people in the room who um, are caring and genuine and sincere and open and uh, generous <laughs> and so like who am I who inspires me the, the women that I've traveled with will always inspire me my parents inspire me how they got through what they did and still managed to raise a family of five um you know my various teachers all of my teachers along the way have all been so incredible at what they do and at teaching what they do that um that it's been hard to it's kind of like moth to a flame you know it's hard to not look um yeah just everyday heroes you know like, beautiful one of my very best friends I just don't know how she does it you know she's just so incredibly caring and diligent and yeah everyday people shout out mm. to Leanne Trainer, love your bum <laughs> <laughs> wonderful that is wonderful when you look at the world when you look at the status quo do you feel optimistic are oh, you clearly an optimist uh, I share your sense of optimism generally without my in terms of my outlook but yeah. how do you feel about the status quo and where we're headed at this point in time yeah I feel good man well, I love it <laughs> I, I love think, it I think <laughs> you know it's... do you think we'll meet do you think we'll meet environmental challenges for example with global warming climate the climate crisis for example do you think yeah. that I do. do you think that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and we'll find solutions for all of the issues that are going on in the world right now? I do, I do, I do. But right. I also think, like, um, well, look, I mean, young people are so um, motivated and, like, I would not like to be a teenager now, mm. but they have such yeah. instant access to so much that they'll never know... Um, They'll never know what it was like to have to sort of send a letter and wait six months for a reply. <laughs> so they will get things done a lot quicker by virtue mm. of their frame of reference. They'll just get it done. There'll be no nonsense. And there'll be no lying about it either because everything will be online. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I do. I, I have a lot of optimism um, for, for the youth and for the future. Um, I think particularly when I look at a Northern Ireland conference, context you know I see people coming up now who only have the opportunities that they have because of people like me and the work I did and because of the people that came before me that inspired me so um, I think for me it's it's really vivid how quickly change can come you know a lot of people look at Northern Ireland they're like how you's not over that yet and it's like one generation come on give us a break mm -hmm. so when I when I can see the distance traveled in only two generations I'm like yeah yeah we, like we have time and more than that there's an interest and there's a want and I, I feel like um how can I put this I, I, I'm not I've no idea how to reference this who said it or where it came from or people will just have to google it if they want to find out more um but I came across this concept of like you know 50 years ago the sorry let's say 100 years ago the average life expectancy was 50 years old so from you were born till 50 years old they thought that 
you would go through like four stages of adult development. And now they think there's something like seven. So if your life expectancy was 50, you didn't ever have the potential to reach learning stage seven of, of awareness. So this is cognitive spiritual development, a cognitive and or spiritual development. You can have a look at both. But so in the last 100 years, they believe that um, there's almost twice as much opportunity to develop as an adult. And that to me gives me great hope because I kind of feel like I can already see it. I kind of feel like I'm seeing people younger and younger accessing more um, nuanced and what's that word? What's that word when something is really um, insightful? You know, I'm, I'm having conversations with 20 and 30 year olds and I'm like, where did you get your wisdom? That I, you know, I've maybe not had conversations like that even with 50 year olds, you know. So, so it's an openness, maybe an open-mindedness. There's an open-mindedness, but it also feels like there's, there's, there's been this kind of like fast tracking of wisdom that I've just not seen before that I and I mean you look you know I'm talking about a Northern Ireland context but you look it's not that long ago that we were talking rations we were talking world wars we were talking you know so like this this potential for exponential growth um of of the human like uh, uh, to for longevity in a physical body but also then cognitively and spiritually and you know the potential that brings just blows my mind I just think it's so so exciting and the one thing that is proven out over and over again whether it's in a martial arts practice or, or in a yoga practice or in a meditation practice is that you are you know your biggest barrier to anything in life will be the limitations you put on yourself so yeah I have a lot of hope for the future I don't and I mean look if they don't do it I will <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. We need more of you. Where can we print up some more of you? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not for sale. <laughs> you, uh, oh my God. I you've you've given me optimism. I'm I'm welling up a little bit. You've given me optimism and hope. I like sometimes my optimism wanes a little bit because I just you know, we, you look at the news and like the news there is a responsibility for newspapers to report on nasty, grisly stuff, but you know, it's by and large, it's just all nasty, grisly stuff in news. <laughs> yeah. And we're just like constantly disenchanted. But speaking to people like you just gives me so much positivity and hope. And you know what? It comes down to it comes down to positive outlook. That's what we need. We need to have positive outlooks and try and emanate positivity. Because yeah. uh, it's like a domino effect, isn't it? Yeah. If you're nice to somebody else and you're positive to somebody else and you invest in them, then they'll go, they're more likely to go and be positive and invest in somebody else. Yeah, oh, totally. Absolutely. You can change the course of a person's entire future just with a few kind words and I know that because I've lived it I as in uh, people have paid that to me and what I've done with that as fuel has been uh, it's been transformational absolutely wonderful um I'm going to obviously put all of the references to you and the amazing stuff that you do on my uh, on the page of the natural high but where can people reach you what's the easiest way for people to reach you I'm sure people are going to want to reach you <laughs> 
Um, great. Okay. Well, my website is www.roshinerskine.com. So if you've got this podcast, you can probably see how to spell that. I don't need to hold your hand for that bit. But um, it's R-O-I-S-I-N and then E-R-S-K-I-N-E. Correct. Okay. Beautifully done. Um, yeah, exactly. And so just, yeah, contact me through my website, get onto the mailing list there. I'll be doing a bit of a revamp over the next few weeks, actually working with my um, business mentor to kind of support me through this next stage of digital progression, wow. because that is so not my jam. Like I really need the support for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I run courses a couple of times a year <clears throat> and that's what allows me to kind of do the other stuff that I love to do and be offline and off grid and all those other wonderful things so if i don't get back to you it's nothing personal i'm probably <laughs> in a woods somewhere like um <laughs> investing in my optimism <laughs> amazing my, just so you know my phone's already switched off for the weekend and it won't go back on until monday I love i'm that. offline now say we need more people like you too oliver <laughs> i mean i've i've actually started turning my phone off on a sunday i have deleted several apps and emails off my phone like email accounts and now I'm encouraging other people to do the same. Like I treat my mobile home, my mobile phone, not home, as an answering machine. So it's not like a guaranteed direct line to me. It's something where I can go and pick up messages when I need to. Amazing. When I when I stopped using it, I realized just how much I use it. You know, when, when I've been turning it off for the weekends, I'm like every few minutes I'll be reaching for it for some reason or other to look oh, at the yes. weather or yeah. to look at something. It's yeah. just incredible yeah. how attached we are to our phones now. Absolutely. I just I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this, but um, this is something I find really, really interesting in the systema training and the breath work practice. I was saying to you earlier about fear and um, inadvertent or accidental breath holds so the two are, are very closely linked but okay. so we did yep. a lot of work around that in class and then like I say you take it off the map so you see where it applies more broadly and so I noticed that every time I clicked the unlock button on my phone I held Yellow my breath, breath. it's like a micro wow. hold but I noticed and so what happens when you hold your breath accidentally or um, you know without deliberately doing it is you accumulate stress every time you do that so if you think like you just said how many times you click your phone on and off in a day mm -hmm. and if you could measure that in terms of like okay so that was like say I don't know what measurements you're using but like say you know 10 mil of stress every time you hold your breath 10 mil more 10 mil more 10 mil more it wouldn't take long to fill your entire body with just stress mm. so if you're not actively doing something to clear that out then you're going to overspill and very likely you're going to you know spill over the people that are closest to you just but by the nature of their proximity so that would be my kind of leaving thought would be start to pay attention to where you hold your breath you don't need to track it just be aware of it because the more you bring awareness to it, the easier it is to stop doing it. Amazing. You're a teacher. You are a teacher. You're a natural teacher. And you make so much sense to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's my it. Goodness. I mean, if people, people can only pick up um, what they're attuned to. So I could have the exact same conversation with you in a month's time and you would hear it completely differently depending on the lens that you're bringing to it that day. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, if I do speak to you in a month, I will have done a month's worth of movement meditation. I'm definitely going to get cracking on that. Do, do check out like um, Matt Hill Online Academy. I think he has a bunch of free resources. And um, yeah, like those guys can definitely explain Systema way better than I can. I'm, I'm a total newbie. <laughs> Um, I have to say that I came into this this morning a little bit um, apprehensive, not apprehensive, but just I had Friday night is basically when we let our hair down. So I had a fair few glasses of red wine last night, too. And I was a little bit foggy this morning. And I was just apprehensive because I thought I hope that I can be of value during this conversation to Roisin. Um, but it's been such a pleasure. I feel so illuminated and um, regenerated after speaking to you. So thank you so much. Oh, fabulous. What a, what a gorgeous thing to say. Thank you so much for your kind words. And um, yeah, I think we were both on the same page this morning. So good, good for us for showing up <laughs> <laughs> and doing the work. <laughs> the Natural High. Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone. <laughs>